and welcome to another episode of In the Area Podcast. Your weekly source for wisdom nuggets. Today, we sit down with brothers Alex and Sam Harrison. These guys were part of a team that paddled to the Arctic Ocean over 51 days, no food resupplies, all wilderness, all gas, no breaks. If you guys have listened to some of the earlier episodes of this podcast, you know that I was on an extended Arctic canoe trip, and these guys are part of the team, very much responsible for inspiring the team I was on and showing us that something this crazy is possible. This podcast is free, 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 free on all apps that stream podcasts. If you would like to support it, please consider subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other place you listen. Enjoy today's episode. So you guys did this epic, amazing canoe trip. Can you tell us about the route and how you guys got there? Drove all the way up to Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, which is on Great Slave Lake. Stayed there, got ready for a day or two. This is Brother Sam. Then we took a float plane to the end of that lake, and we started there, the far side of Great Slave Lake. We hit our biggest lake there was Artillery Lake, followed by Hanbury River, followed by the Thalon River, and we finally hit the giant Gary Lake, the famous Gary Lake which led us into the back river. And that was our sort of guiding to the Arctic Ocean River, our big river with lots of rapids. So overall, what was the trip to you guys? Was it an important part of your life, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it was it was the biggest thing I've ever done. And this is Brother Alex. And has been the biggest thing I've ever done, so. I would agree. Um, just to, to sacrifice that much time, you know, physical energy, mental energy, yeah, so it, it always stands out as something, you know, I've planned tons of trips since then, but nothing sort of of that magnitude and something to look look up to as as I plan more trips and well, you know, try to reach that. And actually that it was like a, a transition for us. We were we had just finished high school. We were eighteen, like Sam said. And uh I actually started college four days after the last day of our trip yeah i went i went to college and i think both of us um were were sort of campers on orientation trips when we got there and it was like walk three miles and and pitch a tent and see if you can survive and we're like oh we just got back from two months i don't even know what electronics yeah my trip was day canoe like what was the reason that both of you guys agreed to go on the trip well, our our dad planned it for about two years. I don't remember being asked yes or no. I don't know. Did we? Did you ask us? I'm oh. sure he asked us. I, I think we probably didn't hesitate at that time. We were 18. We have no fears. We're just like trust trust each other. We trust our dad. 18-year-old, no fears. Let's do it. Can you actually name all the members of the trip? I don't remember all of them, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so we had three from our family. So Alex and I and and our dad, Jeremy Harrison, and then three others. Um, we had one that was our age. Um, that was Robert Woodall. And then we had two that were just graduating from college, and that's Chase Edgerton and Chris Sledzik. And uh, were these people that you guys had a strong relationship with before the trip? Well, of course, we had our family as half the trip. So 
you know, that goes way back. Um, but <laughs> into but, the womb, into the womb, into yeah. the womb. So oh, even before the womb, so, mm. yeah. For me and bro over there, um, wow. we were wrestling, you know, way back in the womb. Did you guys feel like it was weird to travel with your dad for 51 days? Never. It was great. Um, I had the privilege to be in the same canoe as him the whole entire trip. And that was amazing. I think we bonded a lot. I think we grew a lot together. But we were we were one of the boats that was like not talking a whole lot. So we like we knew that if I was in the bow, I just knew that he was like just enjoying him himself. Um, yeah. So he's he's pensive. Yeah. So we like kind of bonded through our own experiences together. I never, I never thought it was weird having our dad there. I think we felt. I mean, we. He was a teacher at the high school that we went to. So, you know, we're cruising into high school with pops in the front, driving us in, driving us home every day. He's guiding us through all these important things in our lives. And so it, it felt right to have him there for sure. Would you say overall, like, was the trip smooth? Did it run smoothly? The biggest setback was ice day two. Yeah. So on the second day of the trip, turn a corner, look up, paddling through. And we just see iced over lakes as far as you can see. Yeah, we had a tough time. Our first day on the ice, we pull our canoes up on the ice and we start dragging our boats with our arms from the bow lines, just like just using way too much energy. And we made about six miles, I think, the first day that we hit ice. And we just could see ice as far as we, you know, as far as I could see. And we were like, we already had to look at plan B routes. Because we ended up having 80 miles straight of ice to, to pull our stuff over. Holy smokes. Yeah, in a few, a few days, actually, the, um, there are a couple channels along the land. And uh, we would camp, and then the, that channel would then be frozen the next day. So I think that just got us prepared for all the different ice and how to kind of manage that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Sam's, is, Sam's burping. Oh yeah, 80, away from the microphone. Eighty miles of ice—that's that's a crazy amount of ice to like physically chug your boat over. Like, did you ever at at some point think, man, this is a trip-ending kind of scenario? One hundred percent. We thought it was. We planned a route to Baker Lake um, because we thought we were going to be too slow getting through the ice after day one. We climbed up this, you know, the side of the the side of the lake. And we looked out on our artillery lake and it was, the whole thing was ice. We didn't see any path to paddle as, as high as we could hike up. We couldn't see anything. And that lake is 50 miles, I think. Yeah. 50 miles it's long. Massive. Yeah. So, you know, we had to, you know, it's what canoe trips bring. And sometimes they bring different things. They always bring different things, but this was new for all of us. They never had brought ice. As you do on canoe trip, especially day two of an Arctic trip, we're all in that mindset of whatever gets in our way, we're going to problem solve and figure out a way to get through it. And by day two, uh, we came up with a, a way that we really made good mileage on it. We had the bow line, um, two loops out of the bow line. You Which know. is the front of the boat. It's a rope coming out of the front of the boat. Exactly. I think that was your idea too, right, Sam? Yeah, I'll take credit for that. Yeah. I mean, we we really were struggling. If we didn't come up with an efficient way to drag our boats and you know, we didn't have we didn't get our food dropped to us. So we had 
60 plus days of food with us from day one. So our boats were freaking heavy. And, you know, day two, trying to pull it over ice, it was brutal. Actually, um, Woodall fell through. Yeah, through the ice actually, oh my one. gosh. So I was, was actually like, videotaping that. And uh, I like, for a second, put the videotape down to go help him. And then I just said, fuck it. And then I put the videotape back up and... I was there. I was closer. Yeah. I was closer to him because we were in the same boat. <laughs> the two of us were in a boat the so whole time. So it's yeah. documented. I mean, we were, I mean, the, <laughs> the ice is really strange. It grows like, it, it melts sort of like um, vertically. So it's like, it's candle ice. So it's just these long vertical strips, right? So it looks like it might be solid, but those things can just be floating. So that's what happened. And, you know, we learned from this experience, but... Um, he was, you know, we're trying to trying to grab the boat at all times and be have our hands on the boat, but you can sort of see like a a more white area that looks like it's harder ice, and so he actually went around um, to try to avoid the thin ice. Um, but when he was coming back to the boat, he fell through, and we ended up getting a fire going pretty quickly. And as, as I want to clarify for everyone that's listening, it wasn't like an ice rink; it was more like snowy. Bumpy, bumpy. Yeah, it's like terrain. Yeah, it's mm. not flat at all. It's it's kind of harsh. So we did everything to lower the friction. We actually put duct tape on the on the bottom of the boat just to try to get a little better, a mm. little less friction. Yeah, lowered coefficient. You That's might interesting. Say. Coefficient of friction. You guys went through the ice, and then what was the next portion of the trip that you guys uh, were met with after the, the ice? The next portion was water. And that was the rest of the trip. <laughs> yeah. um, I do have a, a fond memory of uh, we we hit the Hanbury uh, River, and then um, we are still a little behind because of the ice, obviously. And the Hanbury was was tough too. It wasn't an easy. It wasn't a sail. Yeah, and the Hanbury, the Hanbury. I remember the Hanbury River as the end of the ice. It was sort of like we turn a corner from the end of the ice, and we're going downstream and it felt so good just to be on the water felt so good and then all of a sudden we're you know we have the flowing water and we have you know the current behind us and the Hanbury felt like we were like paddling down yeah it definitely felt like it was dropping not too many rapids that I remember yeah we walked over snow we walked over a river I don't know there's a bunch sand, of different terrain sand, on that, rock on that port tundra the tundra was you know, our pothole portaging when we when we were headed to the Morse, it was just compass bearing, try to find the next lake. But the, the land was so rough. You know, the tundra is just ankle breaker city. It's like, you got to be careful with your pack on. Um, but yeah, we had tons of cool terrain along the trip. I remember walking through sand on an esker type of thing and just thinking about, how pristine it was like not a single step from anyone not a single an animal or anything like that it was just like just saying that i've been there hmm. wow. since the ice age yeah yeah we actually saw um old tp rings like that were bare like half buried in the ground um which was really cool to reflect on who had been there and um, just to be in the same spot as people before us. 
you guys had some really amazing experiences. And I remember talking to you about three weeks ago that your dad would at night, like go out with his camera and like hide behind rocks and things and like <laughs> capture footage of the wildlife in the area. And the tundra offers so much like very unique wildlife. And a lot of light at the, in the night as well. But, um, yeah, my dad, creepy photographer. Um, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I think the highlight, well, we had some really special moments um, in terms of wildlife on our trip. Um, one, one comes down to um, one night where Alex and I were both pooping. Let me tell you, this was like top five nastiest poops of my entire life. And oh at the gosh. same time, mine was the number one best poop of my life. And this of is course. happening simultaneously. And we're like, we're in, we're in eye shot. We could see each other. Could we? We were holding hands. <laughs> no. um, I don't remember. I actually do remember you being in shouting distance, but I was up on a rock, you know, um, with space behind the rock with a rock backrest. So basically a toilet, <laughs> basically a rock toilet built for my butt specifically. Wow. And, um, you know, had my little pile of rocks, the smooth rocks. That was the thing to do back you know, up in that area is the best thing to wipe. Best thing to wipe with. And, you know, we had just smoked a little pipe, a little pipe tobacco. And I think that's what got me. Yeah. Loosened you up yeah. a, a little bit. And, uh, I have this backrest. I'm just like leaning back on the backrest, just so comfortable on my rock. And, um, all of a sudden on the hill in front of us, thousands of caribou start walking over the hill. Towards us. Towards us. Straight towards us. Turns out the the route for their migration was about five feet in front of this rock that I was pooping on. Oh, my gosh. And the multiple rocks that I was pooping on. <laughs> <laughs> the spray. <laughs> but uh, these these it was just amazing, these caribou. And that day we had seen a lot of caribou, so we knew that there was a herd nearby. And wow. they were trying to cross, actually. So they went, went up on the ridge, and they hit the river that we were paddling on. And then they decided that wasn't a good spot, I guess to cross so they headed down towards us but we had only seen a couple hundred that day oh which gosh. is still a lot that's a lot of caribou but we saw a couple thousand that wow that during that poop experience oh there's like hair all in the water as like during the day they leave a trace yeah unfortunately but no yeah no it's beautiful and and they they're not rushing they're not running or anything like that they're just taking their time eating grass going from point a to point b sort of like we were you know wow yeah. How long did you sit back and watch these caribou migrate? Well, I finished and watched them for about a half hour while Alex was continuing his <laughs> adventure. Now I finished yeah. as fast as I could and ran to get the, the camera. Yeah, we went, we climbed it. We were, you know, obviously we were near each other, but we had privacy from the rest of the group because we were over the this big rock formation from the rest of the group. So we had to sort of climb over that and tell everyone, hey, it's, get out of the tents it's uh we're gonna be out here for a while watching caribou wow and yeah my dad got some really good shots and damn Woodle had a video camera and got some good stuff too i i remember talking to you guys um about like you would have you would hang out in the tents for a while in the evenings but then when you would exit the tent you would call it like the flush or something. you had a word for it the breakout the breakout yeah. yeah you're just in this dome of a tent six of us just um 
you know, very much a small area to be in and the juxtaposition with the massive expanse of the tundra where you can just see forever. And so that breakout, just unzip everybody, walk out and just be like, whoa, look where we are right now. Yeah. I don't know if we forgot where we were when we were in the tent, but it was definitely a special, a special moment. It's like a head rush. It was like, all right, what all? You're by the zipper. Get it open. Let's, Let's get back out. out into the tundra. Wow. And, and kind of see what's there. Yeah. My my favorite wildlife experience though was not necessarily the caribou migration. I think my favorite was one day, and you you definitely remember this, Alex. It was when we stopped for lunch. I forget what river we were on. It must have been the Hanbury because we still had ice, and we watched this Arctic wolf corner a caribou between the land and the ice, just on this little piece of water in the side of the river. And the caribou was not having fun. Couldn't uh-huh. get up on the ice and was going back and forth and making a lot of noise. And uh-huh. when I when I intense. imagine That's though, a, when intense. I imagine one of these scenarios where a wolf is pursuing a caribou, I feel like it, it always seems like it's a fast thing. It's like attack and get it or not get it. But this was a chess match between the caribou and the Arctic wolf, where the it was an hour had gone by maybe and they'd each take one taken one step it was just like wolf take one step and see what the caribou does and caribou take one step and see what the wolf does and it was just a super super slow process and then actually the wolf kind of ran away um to try to make the caribou a little less afraid afraid and then um as we were pulling around the corner the wolf had snuck all the way around the caribou and was about to attack. So I think we actually scared the wolf away from his next meal or her next meal. Yeah, we pushed that lunch. We pushed that lunch to about two or three hours watching this happen. But then at some point we were like, we need it. We need to make moves. So we left and turned the corner and the wolf, maybe we spooked the wolf and ruined its dinner for the next week. <laughs> But that was a pretty cool experience to see that pursuit. Yeah, I think my favorite experience um, in terms of wildlife was uh, the fishing experience. Um, I, I had never really been a super adamant fisherman. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was just, it was really hard to pass up that opportunity because it was like, for instance, one day I caught like my six biggest fish of my life in in the same like hour and a half. So well, your sixth or your one, like six one through six one through six. Yeah, it was, it was Alex and I fishing, and we're just like, "This is the biggest fish of my life." <laughs> yeah. And then it was like two minutes later, "This is the biggest fish of my life." And we like tried to keep them all. I remember Dad was yeah. fly fishing, and we were like spin fishing. We were catching, and we came back fish. with like a canoe filled with half dead fish. And it was, um, it was a mess. Um, but <laughs> we were also starving at the time, so we're like, I yeah. could probably eat three <laughs> like or four seven thirty pound fish. <laughs> yeah, each. Do, do you know what kind of fish it was? It like uh, Arctic char, grayling trout, Arctic char, and lake trout. Actually, and then, Dad came back. He was fly fishing. He came back with a northern and a couple grayling that day, and he was like, "Oh my god, what have you done?" <laughs> yeah, he 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 came back with like equal amount of fish as we did but they were like 
three inches long each. We, ours were like <laughs> Sorry, 30 Dad. pounds each. <laughs> and we're like, we're starving. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah the first to, the first biggest fish that we the first bigger fish that we were catching were brook trout, and then later in the trip were, were Arctic char. One experience was early on in the trip, and we were we had seen our first like civilization. It wasn't civilization; it was like a an old cabin, like a small old cabin. And we're like, what in the hell? Who would build a cabin here? And we pull out on this big sand esker and. We're walking around checking the place out. There's nothing really to be seen. But I remember my dad. Yeah, dad and I saw some prints and we were like, fresh bear tracks. Fresh bear tracks. Yeah, this looks pretty fresh. That's what I think my dad said. These look really fresh. And then we look up and I see Woodall. Or did I see Chase? I forget. No, they're the both running down the hill. No, pretty I, I, what I remember is looking up and seeing their eyes and then just following their eyesight to a arctic grizzly bear how did you guys perform collectively as a group was there conflict on the trip i mean you don't want a trip where people are like burying their emotions and sort of angry at someone for a long time so i think the key is communication well the key is communication but it's also like forgiveness and just being able to get over it and know that it's not worth you know, further feuding. It's not worth the next day also being challenging. Yeah, we all had a a goal, like an important goal in mind. And I think no one wanted to to negatively impact that. So we didn't have a lot. Um, I think Sam said earlier, we had like one argument that I can remember. And that was um, we hit a potential barrier in Gary Lake. And it was, we showed up and it was flat. It was like ice, but the good ice, like Gary really Lake, flat what, ice. What Alex means by as a potential barrier is this is the biggest lake that we are going to um, paddle, that we had to paddle across. I don't know how many miles, but 80 at least. I don't know how long it was, but um, I wanted to take advantage and some other member didn't and wanted to camp. And that was like it that I can recall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was also in favor of paddling but, but the next day it was it was like glass again so yeah we got really lucky with the with the lake it was glass every day and there was just fish just, jumping everywhere it's just paradise it paddling across it could have been a lot worse wow but yeah that was one argument that we had and the next day you know we're paddling on glass and everything worked out and yeah n- not only was there a limited con- conflict but we also you know we we were getting along really well you know, laughing a lot and, you know, that's, you know, doing those things that help you get through adversity, which is smile and laugh and sing when it rains. And yeah, it's good to have a, a character like Woodall on that trip. Cause he was singing us, uh, I think his, maybe his parents or his mom would sing him this little birdie song. I don't know how it goes now. It's been a long time, but I think Wake growing, I think growing up, his mom would sing it maybe if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and he just started singing it to us every morning uh, or maybe not every morning, but, and then he had, he had his like all his different hats and yeah, put on his party hat, his sailor's hat, (laughs) bucket hat and just lighten the mood. And what do you think was the most rewarding part of the trip? I think the most rewarding part of doing these kind of adventures is you have the background of, having been through something like this allows you to 
take a step back and put everything in perspective. Um, and so the perspective that an adventure like this gives you, I think is, is really important. I I think for me seeing my dad and everyone else, um, be out and in that kind of nature and experiencing it, um, kind of made me look in, in and like, how do I live in the present? Uh, did I take advantage of being out there? And I was 18. I think I, I think I would want to do another trip and I, I don't think I took, um, as advan as, uh, you know, I didn't take the time, um, that I, that I now reflect on that I should have to be there. One of the other rewarding things I think Zach is, is seeing you grow up and as an example of someone and some groups that have, you know, even in just in the tiniest way have been inspired by, by our trip and being able to, to follow suit and do even more badass things than we ever dreamed of. So thank you. Is there any advice that you guys would like to share with future Arctic trippers? before they go on in an endeavor like this? Well, maybe that, that is one of the points to be made is, you know, right. If you, when you go for it, you're going to be the most recent people to go for it, but there's going to be all these people that, that you're going to inspire, you know, maybe that's an extra reason to, to make it happen is to, to see the future and to, to be a part of it. It was definitely a privilege for us to be able to go on a trip like that, um, I do want to say, I think if our, at least for me, if our dad didn't plan it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here right now talking to you. Yeah. And it, it's not like it's cheap. Yeah. Yep. Major privilege to to have had the opportunity. One of the cooler things, cooler animals that we saw out there was the muskox, and we actually had some pretty close encounters with them, which was which was pretty neat. They are, I think, the coolest thing about them is just they they're so much bigger than most animals that you see, and they're so much more prehistoric looking. We started seeing their hair; they shed so much. Um, we started seeing their hair along the shores, and you know they're coming up. They're just like the the hair blows off their backs and and just goes to the shore and and that's where it stops and starts clumping up so you can you can know when they're close by so there was one campsite where we saw this hair and then we go to bed and we're woken up i think in the middle of the night or maybe we hadn't fallen asleep yet to like heavy winds and somebody must have gone outside the tent for yeah, some i think reason. that i think if i'm remembering correctly that was the coldest i was all trip i was in the the single tent and i was just soaked soaking wet and i remember that we saw muskox that day yeah there's a there's a handful of them six or eight of them that basically walked through our campsite and so we were outside the tent just watching these really close by oh is that is that when we um we were windbound the next we were windbound and we were hanging in the tent and uh i think woodall or chase went to pee and they're like guys guys you gotta get out here there's musk oxen. Oh, that was fun. Musk oxen. Musk oxen. Excuse me. I remember, I got one picture of him, but I do remember this in, in in real life. Is just the wind was blowing so strong, we were windbound, and you could just see giant clumps of hair blowing off their their bodies. 
just right in front of you. Wow. Yeah, that's when Dad snuck out into the rocks and they passed him on both of, uh, both sides, yeah, and he got that. a good good series of photos. Mm. Yeah, and then Woodle and I would be paddling, and we'd just like, what if we get a muskox for our boat? Like, what would we name it? Wouldn't we be able to ride it? What if we rode it on the portages? I think we should call it Thunderbolt or something. <laughs> we like named all these muskoxes as we oh, passed by. And Dad and I were just looking at the stars. Wouldn't a muskox be cool if it was covered in speakers and we could just like ride your muskox and <laughs> tunes? What was the what was the feeling of reaching the Arctic Ocean like? Salty. Um, salty. It wasn't actually that salty. We were in this inlet. Um, it was really sandy actually. I think emotionally what getting to the Arctic Ocean was, you know, it was the the end point of our trip. So, you know, besides physically what it was like, um, it was also Woodle's birthday. And so there was plenty of reason to celebrate. And we hadn't had fire since somewhere in the 20s days. Um, so we, you know, maybe 30 days, 20 or 30 days that we hadn't had a fire. And we decided to surprise Woodall with a fire. So we spent a couple hours collecting tiny twigs from these tiny little bushes, only like the biggest things that were growing where we were. And we, we collected enough to to make a little fire for, for a celebration, to celebrate his birthday and, and the end of the trip. And so seeing fire for the first time in 30 days when that was what we relied on for cooking before then, um, uh, that's that's special damn do you think of these canoe trips and like as a spiritual experience it's probably about as spiritual experiences i've had um i think that's a a word that just has an expansive definition and people sort of you know take it as what it means to them and so i think for me like my spirituality has a lot to do with my being in nature and, and, you know, my place in the world and trying to like experience it while you're there and like take a deep breath and like be there. Yeah. And spirituality is, I guess, you know, connecting to something bigger than yourself. And I think that's nature. And yeah, for, for me and I guess for you, that's, that's what, that's, that's nature and other people find it elsewhere. What's the Bob Dylan poem about Woody Guthrie? Um, he said some he's people, talking about hope and you can either find it at the uh, church of your choice or at Brooklyn state hospital where Woody Guthrie, um, passed away, I believe. Um, or you can find them both sundown, no, grand, sorry. grand Canyon sundown, grand Canyon sundown. Hmm. Yeah. People, people find their, Spirituality in different places is, I guess, where it comes down to. Um, yeah. Well, but you can find a Grand Canyon sundown. Everyone finds it there. Before Before we close out, was there anything else that you guys wanted to just make sure was said on the podcast? I do want to say we did raise uh, about twenty three thousand dollars for World Wildlife Canada. Really, you guys. In addition to raising funds for your trip, you raised money for that organization. Yeah, we did, and it's it's been super important to us since. And you know, that's something that we didn't mention when we talked about the caribou migration is just how few and far between they are now. And just the herds dying off, and it's just 
it's it's horrible um and so shout out to um you know if you care about conservation of lands and animals and um like we do um please please help out when it's called world wildlife canada World, World Wildlife, Wildlife Fund. World Wildlife Fund, and spe specifically the Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Fund. I wish I had some facts about the caribou migrations now, but you know, it's you know, I don't think anybody, any of those Arctic trips after us, were able to see one. And I think that they're just. I mean, we talked about the Arctic wolf and the caribou, and it's just you know, one slight change is going to affect you know the animal's life and a herd's life and you know, um, and beyond. Um, so there's definitely some as great as these trips are and as, you know, as great of an experience as they were, there's animals up there that are struggling. Wow. On a positive note, no, I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say, I, know, I just I, knew I, that it needed to happen. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, that's beautiful that you guys were able to you know, dedicate you know, the, some of the honor of your trip to something so important. And this, like you were saying, it is such a fragile ecosystem, but guys, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I love both of you. Like I said, and, uh, it's I, mutual. I deeply appreciate you guys doing this trip and, and creating the ripple effect now because you know, the, the trip has meant so much to me that I got to do and, it's, you know, I got to owe it to the legacy. So thank you guys. Again, you guys are both amazing humans. Well, thank you, Zach. Thanks for, I'm, I'm proud of all you've done when it comes to the canoe trips from teaching you how to stir in a boat in 2010 with Bob to um, seeing you guys, you know, do the most epic trip I've ever seen and, and put together this amazing podcast and just, um, just lighten people's lives up. So yeah, see keep, the joy, baby. Keep doing it. Thank you for making it all the way through the podcast. You are gorgeous on the inside and out. Till next time, be well. Be well.